everyone. Thanks for uh, showing up. We're glad that you guys are here. Um, just want to remind you that uh, you guys can find the song lyrics as well as the notes for today's sermon at our website, civalhambra.com forward slash Sunday. Um, you'll find all your resources there, your connection cards, everything you need. And if you're in person and you want some physical copies of that, you can find them over there at the resource table. Uh, we've got some uh, paper copies of the uh, song lyrics today. Um, but as we get settled in, I wanted to read a, a verse. You know, today we're talking about the future. We're talking about when Jesus comes back. We're talking about the hope that we have. Um, and so as we open up this song, uh, this song comes straight from Psalm 84, verse 10, where it says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And this sense that being in the presence of God surpasses anything this world could offer. Anything that's happened this week, we leave it behind and we say, God, this is your time. We're excited to be here in your presence. And I think one of the marvelous and beautiful things is that as children of God, we get to experience that presence every single day of our lives, that he is with us. His presence is not something that we experience just on a Sunday morning, but we get to live in that and serve before him every single day of our lives. And so as we sing this, um, I encourage you to sing this until it's true in your heart and that you really agree that better is one day in the courts of God than a thousand days doing anything else anywhere else. Yeah. 
to your connection card online again uh, for some more of those resources. All right, good morning. Welcome to Church in the Valley, whether you're online or here uh, today with us in the courtyard. Uh, we just really want to welcome you and thank you for coming and worshiping together with us. My name is Mark Klebsig. Uh, I serve on the board of directors here at the church. And uh, if you are a guest with us this morning, we're really glad that you've joined us. Uh, come to check us out. And if you're here with us today in person, we have a book for you, a gift, uh, How Good is Good Enough. So please grab one of those at the guest resource table on your way out today. Um, as you heard earlier, you can find the song lyrics and the listening guide for the sermon today, uh, as well as the connection card. And that connection card will be important here in a minute uh, at civalhambra.com slash Sunday. So there's also a few paper copies of those things as well as some kids' uh, worksheets and crayons and um, offering envelopes uh, at our table over here where you can see the buckets. Um, you can, you're welcome to give online or drop that offering off uh, in the bucket on your way out as well today. So um, speaking of offerings and the generosity of the church, uh, we've talked all through December and January about um, our Christmas offering and how we use that as the church just to be generous above and beyond taking care of the needs of the church, but really um, investing in ministries uh, internationally as well as some locally. And the final tally was 21,846. So well above the goal of 18,000. So really appreciate everyone's generosity to that. That was really awesome to see. Um, so we do have a couple of new announcements, a couple of things coming up on the calendar. Uh, we have a membership meeting three weeks from today, uh, Sunday, February 28th. So save the date uh, for our members. There'll be more information coming about that. It will be here at the Alhambra at 1030 after service. Uh, likewise, on February 21st at 1030 after service, we'll have a baptism overview. So for those of you that may be curious and wanting to learn more about what is baptism, what does the Bible teach about that, or for those that know that they want to get baptized, uh, sign up again on your connection card um, for February 21st at 1030. And there'll be two um, of those overview meetings. One is for kids and one is for adults. Uh, so please just let us know if you're interested in that, and we will make those arrangements. 
So once again, we're really glad that you are here with us today. Um, we're going to continue to worship before Rick Durst comes up to give his message. So thank you. Thanks, Mark. Uh, would you stand with us as we continue to continue to worship and continue to sing?
thank the worship team for the music it's really touching um, and worshipful it's good to see you one of the happiest views i have all week is when i watch you guys walking up <laughs> you just keep coming keep coming so welcome and those of you who are uh, sitting in your location in zoom land i'm going to welcome you also to civ let me invite you to open to the new testament to the gospel of john chapter 14. Um, I have, when I planned out what I'd be speaking on in the new year in 2021, I wanted to do this series, How to Start Up Your Year. Of course, I'm trying to start my year up too. And so I planned on four messages, then all of a sudden I realized something was missing. Uh, we live in very anxious, unpredictable time. And I think all of us have this in us, but we were raised with this a fairy tale about Chicken Little. Do you remember Chicken Little story? And uh, an acorn hits little Chicken Little in the head and he thinks the sky is falling. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. And it's easy to find people, maybe you, maybe me, who have moments of Chicken Little. The sky is falling. Um, maybe it was an acorn that hit you in the head or maybe it was, you know, COVID. Um, and there is a, a serious antidote to that. And in this passage, we're going to look at Jesus realizes that the disciples, these 12 handpicked leaders um, that D Jesus was training up, coaching up, they were now clued into that Jesus was not going to die of old age. And he could sense the anxiety that was welling up in them and begin to eat away at the joy of their life. And 
you know, that may be what you're experiencing too. Um, maybe not an anxiety attack, but a low grade anxiety that just makes it hard to be happy because there's too many things going on, both economically, physically, culturally, uh, lots of changes. And so Jesus, this is something called these last three, these three chapters in John are sometimes called the, the last discourse. In other words, Jesus wants to have a serious conversation with them and with us. And in this passage we're going to look at, uh, he gives them some, something called practical eschatology. Eschatology um, has to deal with how stuff going to end the last times. And when you really look at eschatology closely, you realize, oh, you're so kind, Josh, uh, that uh, everybody's got two questions about the last times. Question one. What's going to happen to me when I die? Question number two, is this the end of the world? So you've kind of got a little watch and a big clock that you're watching. And Jesus speaks right into that. So if you've got your uh, New Testament open or you've got your uh, sermon guide, uh, let me look at those words with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, that's written as if our response to anxiety, whatever the source of anxiety, should not be passive. Jesus is telling us not to let anxiety run our lives. We run our hearts, not anxiety. You believe in God, believe also in me. Faith is the active response that we need to be making as anxiety comes over us as a, way, a rogue wave. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Have you ever pulled up to a hotel and it said reservation required or reservations are full? According to this, we don't have to worry about that if we have trusted Christ. We have a reservation. We have a place. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. For you. For you. For you personally. That's pretty serious reservation. <laughs> if the Lord of heaven and earth, the son of the living God, has picked out a room for you, that's awesome. I still remember when I dropped my daughter off at uh, UC Santa Cruz, and I saw her room. She has a view of the beach. She has a better view than I have, and I'm paying for her view. <laughs> Who knows if Jesus hasn't picked out a room like that <laughs> for you? I hope so. Um, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will come back somehow. Right now, I pray that the Holy Spirit could write those words in your soul. I will come back. I am coming back. I remember hearing the story. I don't know if this is just a preacher story or it's a real story. This uh, pastor was preaching on Christ's return. And he, he, he landed on this verse, behold, I come quickly. 
behold, I come quickly. And just to emphasize it, he, he had a, a wooden lectern, wooden pulpit. The first time he said it, he, he said it, you know, just sort of regular voice. I come quickly. And he, he stepped forward. And he said it again. I hope come quickly. And he kind of rocked this pulpit. And he thought, well, you're not supposed to do things in threes. So he, he hit it again really hard. I come quickly. And he overbalanced the pulpit while he's on top of it. So it kind of launched him over. And he landed in this older lady's lap. <laughs> and he got up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she looked at him and said, Pastor, it's okay. You warned me you were coming three times. Uh, behold, I am coming. Jesus does not make a lot of promises because he keeps a careful record. He's a promise keeper. He has a promise. He's keeping it. You can trust his promise. Um, I'm coming back and I'm going to take you to be with me that you also may be with me where I am. What this says is God's love for you is so personal. God's love for me is so personal. He wants to hang with us forever. Now that's personal. I want you to be with me, Jesus says. I want you to be with me. Somehow may the spirit write that in our hearts. You know the way where I'm going. Now I love these 12 guys. They are not the best students, okay? And I love that about them. Uh, Thomas says immediately, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? And then Jesus answers with one of the most famous declarations of truth in the New Testament, well, in the Bible. I am the way. If you and I will focus on Jesus, we will be in the way. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You hang with Jesus, if I hang with Jesus, I'm going to the Father. There will be a place for me. There's a future for me. Um, and, you know, how do, how do we know this is true? Uh, there's a, you probably know, I'm, some of you have uh, done your work in uh, higher levels of math. Um, maybe you're headed towards insurance, be one of those actuarians. Some of you have done some research into um, probability and statistics. And so you've come across the name of a, a French mathematician by the name of Blaise Pascal. And Pascal became a follower of Christ. And when he passed on, he didn't live to, to a long age. Uh, they were preparing, uh, you know, his estate, preparing him for burial. And somebody picked up his, his favorite coat. And as soon as they, they touched it, they felt a crinkle in the liner. And they realized there's, there's something in there. And so they opened it up and took this paper out. And it was the record of Pascal's experience of a covenant with God. That God had sought him out in Christ to make a covenant with him. A covenant is a permanent relationship of mutual care. And that was so profound for him, he wrote it down and signed it in the lining. 
I hope you've got something like that in the lining of your life, a covenant with Christ. And that inspired, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure who exactly was, was inspired, somebody to put together his, his thoughts, his reflections, and it's called penzes. It means thoughts. And sort of connected with that is something called Pascal's Wager. You may ever heard this, you got it in philosophy class. Um, and here's how it goes, just a little bit. Um, God is or God is not. God is or God is not. You know, Jesus just said, believe in God, believe also in me. I'm not going to say Christ is or Christ is not. Reason cannot decide between the two alternatives. This is something you have to decide volitionally. A game is being played where heads or tails will turn up. You must wager. It's not optional. Every person here, every person you'll ever meet has to wager. That's not optional. Let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. There is an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain, a chance of gain against a finite number of, of days, uh, chances of loss, and what you stake is finite. And so your position, your, excuse me, so our proposition is of infinite force when there is the finite to stake in the game. You know, all you, you can stake, all I can stake is, you know, my, my, my life is not that long. But I can gain eternity. Or I can gamble everything on this life, and when I die, I may lose everything. Um, the wager is on. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Guys, it's game time. It's end time. Um, believe in me. You believe in God, believe also in me. Um, now, there are counter arguments to the wager. And those of you that really stayed in there to keep reading through, you discovered some of those. And so God anticipates that. Christ anticipates that. And your answer back to that is called the resurrection. <laughs> um, we know historically both those that favor Christ and are against Christ, they all acknowledge those early first century that he was crucified. But he wasn't just crucified. On the third day, he was raised. And if you'll mark this down while you've got it in your worship, your note guide here, read 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58 verses, the Apostle Paul is walking through how he handled his own doubts. You ever had a, anybody ever had a super thunderbolt of doubt hit you? Uh, I did. I was in high school. I had just become a believer. I was in love with the Lord and the gospel. And I was cutting to my English class behind the administration building. When I'm telling you, a thunderbolt of doubt hit me. What if I'm wrong? What if this is not true? And I want to go back to that. I still remember the square of cement. I bet my shoes melted there because I just stopped. And I went to 1 Corinthians 15. You know, uh, 
Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. That's why the title of this message is listen for the last trumpet. You know, there's got to be something in your life so that you're not so caught up in this life, but you realize I'm going to hear that trumpet sometime. I don't know if it's Reveille or what, but I'm going to hear a call. Uh, there will be that call. And this whole chapter is about Jesus' resurrection and the witnesses to the resurrection. If Christ is raised, we can trust his problems because God had put a stamp on history, an indelible stamp that he exists and he has a plan. His plan is in Christ. He's raised Christ from the dead. Now, Easter's coming. Can't wait to get there. Uh, because it remembers back what God has done for us in Christ. Now, back to practical eschatology. When you spend a lot of time in the New Testament, you'll discover that the, the New Testament operates in four time dimensions, not time zones. Because time zone means, okay, if I'm, if I'm on the East Coast, it's three hours ahead. You know, if, if I go to Hawaii, you know, it's three to five hours behind. I can't remember now. Um, what is it? Two hours. Okay, you know. <laughs> you start, your feet are still wet from Waikiki. I know. Okay. Um, these are dimensions of time. So one is quite familiar to you. Um, Jesus says in John eleven nine, are there not 12 hours in the day? So it's chronology. Um, it putting time in terms of pieces of time. And we know we're going to have, you know, 24 hours in the day. Uh, we know we're going to, you know, there's going to be 60 minutes in every hour. There's going to be 60 seconds um, in every minute. And we live in the West in a chronometric culture. Time is money. Time is quality. We measure quality in terms of how much time. And it used to be when we were wearing watches that it would, some of our watches would be called, you know, a chronometer. Now, some of you are very chronometrically oriented. You can't help it. You, you, you just, you know what time it is. You know when time is up. You know that. When you're, you know, and that's when you're done. Uh, but there's another way of measuring time. It's more focused on quality. There was a, uh, you know, decades ago, a book came out talking about the teachable moment. And most of you who are trained in uh, educational psychology, you know about that. You're having a moment. It's like time stops or time just has depth. And you, you lose track of time because you're so caught up in the quality of time. Um. And uh, so there's a Greek word, keros, that tends to kind of get at that. Um, time is about connecting and about being present in the moment. It calls us to reflection and relationship. You know, one thing I like about CIV, there's space here. There's time here to make friends, to get to know people, to be glad to see each other. Make friends. Being together is more important than doing together. Uh, as Dalai Lama says, um, we're not human doings. We're human beings. We're made for relationship. Um, so that's another dimension of time. But there are two more. The next dimension is the word we've just been messing with, eschatology. 
the end of time. Some people said eternity is time with the ends knocked out, meaning that there is going to be an end to time. Um, I think the author of Jurassic Park, M Michael Crichton, um, he was such a thoroughgoing secularist. He got a picture of this notion of the end of time, at least for the earth. And in his mind, earth was a light bulb and it was going to burn out. By the way, on the side, there is a light bulb in a fire station in the East Bay that has been burning for 115 years. And when they decided to redo that lighthouse, it was a major decision in the city. How are we going to get that light bulb transferred to the new building? And they did it. It's still burning. But Michael Crichton became, um, you know, really like terminally depressed and, and took his own life because he saw there is an end and he couldn't see anything beyond it. Um, I remember I was, you know, another research paper was due and I remember praying at the university, Lord, I, I'm going to do this paper. I'm going to get it done on time. But if you're going to come back, could you come back before I get it started? That's a lame approach to this. But it's really helpful to know that nothing is going to last forever in this life. Nothing. There's an end. There's an end. And any enemy, any adversary, any difficulty, check the shelf life. It's got an end date. Finally, the fourth way is eternity. Eonos in the Greek. Eternity. Now, eternity is not just endless time. It's way better than that. It's an infinite quality of time. It's infinitely qualitatively different. Now, you, you could almost say time is meaningless to God because he, he's eternal. Everything is present with him. The past, the future, the present. It's, it's all present with him. He's omniscient, knows everything. He's eternal. He's omnipresent. Um, so what would that generate in my life? It might generate, okay, I shouldn't invest too much. I shouldn't worry too much about stuff that's not going to last. I should ask myself, is this really going to matter 10 years from now? Is this going to matter for eternity? I need to have eternity on my mind. Now, you might immediately say, well, oh, I don't want to be one of those people that they say, oh, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. That is no longer a problem. The problem is people are not heavenly minded enough to be any earthly good. Or they're so earthly minded, they're no good at all. Eternity on the mind gives a, a dimension to life and a way of walking through life. Now, I am not saying one or the other or the other or the other. I'm saying you need like four watches on this side, you know? You need to know what you're watching. <laughs> I didn't mean to make that pun, but it works pretty good. Um, keeping good watch and being able to be in the moment. Yes, time does count. So keep count. But there's an end. And there's eternity. 
And that's what Jesus wants us to focus on or be able to focus on as an answer to anxiety as it come in, comes roaring down to, to sort of eat us up. You know, Scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's timeless. He's eternal. And for him, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. That's, that's it's just different. You know, we say, why has Christ waited 2,000 years to come back? I'm glad he did because I get in. I wouldn't exist until recently, you know. And God is not late. He's never late. He's always on time. So what we're practicing in this practical eschatology is hoping skills. And without really good hoping skills, you cannot have any coping skills. A lot of people today don't have coping skills. They just have self-medication. That's not a coping skill. Real Christian eschatology, biblically based, is the hoping skill the Lord wants us, even when we have to go through difficult times. So what should we do? Well, we should stop subverting our own faith. Shooting ourselves in the foot, so to speak. Uh, read, you know, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, and Matthew 13. Uh, in Matthew 13 especially, Jesus tells this parable of, of the sower going out in the field to sow seeds. You know, maybe this is the time to do it because you're anticipating uh, spring growth and so forth. And he tells this parable because it gives us three ways that people's faith gets subverted. I hope he moves on. <laughs> you know, one thing I love about L.A. and Southern California, there's always something in the air. There's always something in the air. Um, when I was in Beijing, Beijing of all places, I don't remember ever seeing anything in the air except the plane I came in. It's freaky. Um, so here are three ways to believe in vain. Don't believe in vain, Jesus says. First, if you believe in Christ without repentance, then you're like leaving your faith to the crows. You know, it, it's possible to come to church, even CIV of all places. And you hear all of this and it feels pretty good. But it never goes down in you. It never goes underground. It never goes into your soul. And stuff comes along and just eats the seed. Then it's gone. Um, you know, it's kind of like a spiritual battle. Second, if you believe without restitution or restoration. Uh, you know, there are consequences to believing in Christ. You have to start walking in the light. You have to get in the light. You get in the light. All that's who you are is in the light. You may have to make some things right with some people. Or restoration. Uh, there's a woman, you know, there, you know, we've talked about the 12 close followers of Jesus, but there are a group of women who are also close followers. One of those women was named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, uh, by the time Jesus met her, um, had been sexually trafficked for years. She had been so damaged that um, she had even become demon-possessed. But I don't know who you are. If, 
if you meet Jesus, he does not blink or run from any of your problems. He will look you, look them right in the eye and show his lordship. And she cast those demons out of her. She healed her. She gave her a life. And you know what she did? Um, ladies, I, I don't know what the most expensive perfume you've got. But she took the most expensive perfume she could get. It's called Nard. And it smells wonderful. Um, and she came to where Jesus was a special guest. Um, and she taught that they hadn't washed his feet. They hadn't given him anything to wash his hands. They were treating him just like he was not somebody. But to her, you know, he was the beginning and the end. And she took that nard and she went in and she started crying because of the way they had been treating her. Her tears splashed on his feet. So she kind of washed his feet. She dried them with their hair. And then she pulled out that perfume and anointed his feet. Um, because she had been restored to life. You know, you can get your virginity back when the Lord takes over your life. I remember meeting this woman who was in training at the Coast Guard Training Center, and, and I think she told me she'd had five abortions already, and she was just barely 21. And she said, I don't know who I am anymore. And I think that was like Mary Magdalene. But when she met Jesus, she, knew who, she found out who she was. She found out she was loved. She heard Jesus' promises and that there was a place for her and that he wanted her near him. And that's, that's what I see happening in people's lives when they give their lives to Christ. Um, the last way to have a vain faith is um, Jesus. Uh, by the way, that part of the parable that I just referenced is some people have rocks in their lives, rocks that they need to make restitution of, rocks that other people, because of circumstances, have jammed into your life, and you've got to get those out. And that's part of your discipleship process and healing. But the others, uh, they want to make a bargain with God. They want to get salvation at a good price. Uh, they want to broker a deal. You know, I remember reading on an airplane one time, you don't get what you deserve in life. You get what you negotiate. They want to negotiate that. I was in a really intense negotiation this week with somebody. And I'm not sure if it was a win-win when we're done or a lose-lose. All I knew is I was bruised. You ever had that happen? Um, and that's how these people try to deal with God. You believe with compromises and conditions. And those bargains will grow up to choke out your faith. Um, remember the rich young ruler? Jesus was not successful with everybody. And it says he loved this guy. But that guy wanted to broker a condition to following Jesus. And Jesus is not having it. You got to let go. Um, if you, you know, once it warms up and the ocean warms up, if you go out to the beach and get out and get caught in a riptide and, you know, start to struggle and, you know, call out for the lifeguard and lifeguard comes out there with those red floaty things they have and, and you start to struggle with him, try to help him save you. 
Some of those lifeguards are trained to do this. They just back away from you and let you drown a little more. To you willing to let them save you their way. Otherwise, you can drown the lifeguard. And if you've made a bargain or condition, give it up. Give in to him. Trust him. Believe in him. Um, then the fourth way of that seed is sown. Faith sown in good soil of a humble self will yield amazing fruitfulness. Amazing fruitfulness. That is not an overpromise. During World War II in the Pacific theater of the war, a number of uh, American soldiers, men and women, nurses, and were in, you know, passing through or getting R&R uh, in Sydney, Australia. You know, we know Sydney, Australia, because they have one of the best um, New Year's Eve fireworks displays in the world. And that, that whole bridge across whatever it is there in Sydney by the um, opera house, it just, the whole thing lights up. It's amazing. But if you've ever watched it really carefully, there's a moment in there when you'll see in, if you're a graphic artist, you know what I'm talking about, copper plate font. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, write it down, copper plate font. And you can check it on your, your computer when you go to the fonts and check for it. It's beautiful, kind of, you know, fancy writing, copper plate font. They'll come up, copper plate font, across their bridge, and it'll say eternity, just briefly. And the reason that's there is because American soldiers and Australians, many others too, when they came to a corner in Sydney, Australia during World War II, they often saw written in chalk, eternity. Eternity. Who wrote, who writes this stuff? Eternity here, eternity there. Um, some people believe it was written 500,000 times during that writing period. They finally traced it down to a man named Arthur Stace. Arthur Stace was always lived on the border of homelessness. He'd been a soldier, became an alcoholic. Uh, because he was actually the child of two alcoholic parents, his education was shot. You know, it was in, it was in the bottle, not, not in the classroom. And so he never really learned to write he could sort of write his name. His, you know, he, didn't have, he didn't have anything you'd call handwriting. And um, uh, he was able to get in the war in World War I and uh, just sort of stumbled along, fumbled along in life until he found Christ. And, uh, you know, some people who come to Christ, they don't know what they have to bring. What do I bring to the table? How can I serve you, Lord? And somehow he got it in his heart. I could write the word eternity in chalk on the sidewalk. Now, this is a guy who could hardly write his name. But something amazing happened when he started writing the word eternity. It came out in copper style font beautiful beautiful now after he'd been writing for years he tried to change the word you know do, use different words like forgiveness he could never get it out as beautiful as this one 
He was arrested 24 times because he was defacing public property by writing this word. But he just kept doing it. And finally, it became the heart of Sydney. They needed that on the sidewalk. They needed it on the corner. They needed it themselves to be reminded that eternity is there. And there is the God and there is a Christ. They began to call this. They finally figured out who it was. Arthur Stace. You, you can, there's a website. I think there's even a movie about it now. Um, but he put eternity on their hearts. And they have never forgotten him for that. Mr. Eternity, Arthur Stace. First uh, Corinthians 15 sort of ends this way. That the death of death is in the death of Christ. Christ's death brought the death of death. The sting of death is sin. And the power of the sin is the law. Because Christ has removed the sting of sin. He's removed it. He's taken it away. We can have peace with God. Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that last verse. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord that he's given you. Knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. And I'm sure Arthur Stace knows that now. So what is God asking me to do today? Well, I think it could be stop looking at the clock and the sky and start looking at the Lord. Look at Jesus. It could be stop subverting my faith and start practicing good soil management. Get the rocks out. Break the ground. Stop cutting deals and getting weeds in your life. It may be I need to reset my life according to God's timing. He makes all things beautiful in his time. In his time, he makes all things beautiful. Um, maybe you know somebody who needs this truth as much as you need it. So maybe what God is asking you to do is make a call. Send an email. Give a text. Believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, Jesus said. Let's pray together. Lord, how glorious it is to sit outside or to take time this morning to watch and to know that you make all things beautiful in your time. Maybe this is the time for us to hear your voice, to hear your spirit, to be moved, to make the wager. Put it all on the line. Say, I will follow Christ. I will ask forgiveness. I'll experience forgiveness. I'll cry out to you, Father. And promise to follow you and tell others about you. Is God's spirit speaking to you? Then this is your time. This is the day of salvation for you. Give it to him. You've already committed your life to Christ. But... Uh, you haven't taken seriously the need for restitution or restoration. Uh, you've been making bargains. Give it up. Surrender afresh. And get on with the work he's called you to do. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the moments of prayer, song, listening, and talking this morning at CIV.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Rick. We're going to take some time again to uh, reflect on the message. If there's anything you need to do to make right before God, to make right with people, uh, I would encourage you to take that time as you're praying over it and reflecting to um, go ahead and do so. Um, as a reminder, we have our connection card. If you guys want to fill that out online, you can let us know what your next steps are so we can be praying for you and helping you along with that. as we look to the future, as Rick was talking about eternity, as we put our trust and our faith in our Savior, I'm reminded of the words of uh, Corey Ten Boom. Remember she said, never be afraid to trust in the unknown future to a known God. We're going to sing this song. Um, it's a simple song that many of us have grown up to sing. Does the word just say, Jesus loves me, this I know? The fact that we know that our God is the one who loves us means that we can trust him with the future, regardless of what happens. So sing this in your heart. Dinner was just three words, but it changed my life. A child like you that consumed my mind from my life's first breath till the day I rise. All I need to know is this same old Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. I won't forget the Bible says that he loves me. Sing it one more time. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, and his love won't forsake me, I know. Oh, yes, Jesus loves me. first loved us. We are unworthy beings, unworthy creatures. And so we live our lives in your service and in your honor. And we live our lives with expectation of eternity in our hearts. Give us the wisdom to live lives that please you today and tomorrow and for all of eternity when we are with you our anxiety as we trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name.
Come and rest at my feet.